Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Jiang Fan. Uh, he's a professor in the Department of Electronic and Computer Engineering. We're going to talk about a, a new bionic eye that could give robots and uh, you know, people that are blind vision back, which is very, very promising. Uh, Jiang Fan, he, he received his bachelor's and master's in uh, physical electronics from Fudan University in Shanghai, China in uh, 1998 and then 2001, and then a PhD from University of Calif- uh, California, Irvine in 2006 in material science. Uh, so we'll go into more of his background and the technology soon. So, Zhang, thanks for coming. Hey, Richard. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. Well, tell me about your, your research. What made you think about creating a bionic eye? Well, um, I think it was a long time ago. You know, I was, uh, I'm still a sci-fi fan. I often watch those uh, sci-fi movies like iRobot, Star Trek, and Terminators. And uh, mm-hmm. often I was... Uh, Amazed by the sophisticated and uh, very cool looking, um, you know, the eye structure they have. So eyes are their photo detector and image sensors, right? Um, their eyes are very much like human eyes often. Um, but you know, human eyes, a very special device, it's a spherical. And my research is on optoelectronics. So we make uh, um, all kinds of uh, optoelectronic devices, solar cell, LED, and photo detectors then automatically thinking how we can make a a very special and unique photo detector image sensor um, in the same kind of shape like uh, those uh, artificial eyes in the sci-fi movies. I think that was a starting point of my idea of our current research. Okay, so, I mean, is is there a huge gap between making a bionic eye? Is it, uh, are we anywhere close in terms of development of one? Well, uh, if you look at the current technology, um, people are making CCD and CMOS image sensors and put in the camera on the cell phone or other things, right? Um, those technologies are based on the flat substrates or planar substrates, most likely silicon with some other compound semiconductors, right? Um, yes, you can make very nice cameras, image sensors, but uh, you can't make um, like spherical or hemispherical kind of image sensors. It is impossible uh, with the current technology because you know you have to use the lithography, microfabrication. They're all working on a very flat substrates. So I think that's uh, really the big hurdle uh, we have to uh, jump over in order to make something uh, really like human eye. Well, do we need a spherical camera? What if you made um, a bionic eye, but it was flat to begin with and it was implanted at the front of the, the eye socket, would that work or does it have to be spherical? Like what are the uh, other challenges? Right, that's a great question. You know, being hemispherical or spherical, it has a huge advantage. Um, for example, the large field of view, 
um, our human eye, we single eye has already, you know, 150 to 160 degree uh, field of view, a very large field of view. Uh, but if you have a planner image sensor, uh, like those image sensor on our cell phone, uh, it only has a field of view around 40 to 50 degree. You can see the big difference, right? If you make a flat device, you, you won't see a wide field of view unless you use a very sophisticated lens design. You have to uh, add up uh, multiple lenses uh, to uh, create or to increase the field of view, but still it's very difficult to get, to, to get up to 160 degree like a human eye. And you see there's a huge gap over there, right? Yeah, but we don't, you know, at the periphery, we don't really see, you know, we can detect motion, I'm sure. But uh, like, how? what's the field of view in which someone actually really is is seeing and processing anything beyond maybe motion? I would think it's a lot narrower than that. Uh, yes, um, our human eye, um, we have an area which has a high resolution and, uh, you know, Around the area, we don't have very high resolution, but as you said, um, the surrounding area would be very sensitive to the motions, etc. Right? You know, after millions of years of evolution, this is essential for our survival, not just for human, but all the other animals, right? Well, what if you were to approximate, if you were to create a flat lens, and then you had at angles on the left and right, you know, two little motion detectors, so you kind of you'd have to put several sensors together to approximate what a human eye could do, but then you could at least start with a flat lens and not have to worry about the spherical part just yet. Well, I think that's also a great idea. You have to stitch a few image sensors together, right? So it makes the system more complicated, more costly. Um, some special applications, of course, we can do that, but some other application, maybe we don't want that. For example, just on your cell phone, right? You don't want to, it's not only limited by the cost, but also the form factor, the, the dimension, right? The volume, et cetera. Yeah, well, that's true. So what, what, uh, what are the challenges on there in making an eye? Um, well, again, the biggest challenge is uh, how are we going to put all the light sensing materials on a curved substrate or the hemispherical substrate. Um, so that, that's the biggest challenge. Um, as I mentioned in the beginning, all the flat or planet technology currently in industry, um, they cannot be modified to fabricate something like an image sensor on the hemispherical substrate. So I've been thinking long time how to solve this problem uh, until like 2016, I had uh, some idea uh, to use this uh, hemispherical porous template to host the life sensing materials. Uh, so I can form a, a uh, special and artificial retina, I call that. We call that artificial retina structure. Well, this will be hard to do without video, but um, we pick up light, what, at the back of our eye on the retina? Is that right? Uh, yeah, so uh, it's hard to imagine. Um, it's a bit hard to imagine without any uh, photo or video, but, you know, it's... Uh, um, but what I'm Isn't asking I... you is all the all the sensors in the back of our eye, even though mm -hmm. they're sitting on a on a hemisphere, they're yes. all they're all oriented to the front. They're not perpendicular to the interior of the hemisphere because then they would point all directions. So I mean maybe they are, but are they all oriented to the front 
where they're all oriented perpendicular to the surface, the inner surface. Right, right. So um, imagine we have this uh, porous template, but the template is uh, hemispherical. It has many uh, holes, tiny holes. Um, the hole size is a few hundred nanometers, and the, the periodicity of the holes is a uh, half micron to one micron. So this is a template we're using. And inside the template, we, we filled up with uh, our so-called nanowire, semiconducting nanowire materials. And all these nanowires, after filling the pore, being filled in the pore, they form the three-dimensional array. So they are all standing vertically inside the template. They are all pointing to the center of the sphere. Um, so this is a configuration we have, which is very similar to our human retina. We have this uh, uh, sensing cells, rod cells and cone cells. They are all in the three-dimensional uh, structure. I hope okay. that makes very clear here. <laughs> you know, that makes sense. So you can do that with your porous template. So what else needs to be done in order to make the, the eye? Well, the next step is how are we going to make a front contact and a back contact? Uh, in the case we shine the light, we generate charge carriers, right? How are we going to access this uh, uh, nanowire material and extract the charge? I think that's the second, second challenge. Are you able to model how a rod or a cone works, or is that very complicated in itself? Well, yeah, that's, um, well, you know, this is hemispherical substrate. Automatically, it's very difficult to uh, use a planar lithography or microfabrication technique to put on the contacts, right? So um, our one of our invention here is to um, use a material, use a liquid called ionic liquid. It has uh, ions inside. Ionic liquid put on the front side. Imagine this, uh, uh, this is a hemispherical, um, hemispherical uh, template, the hemispherical retina, right? So we, we made a, such an eyeball structure. Eyeball structure, half of the eyeball is a hemispherical retina, the other half uh, is metal. And in this uh, uh, hollow sphere, we inject the ionic liquid. Then the ionic liquid can form the front contact to the front surface all, of all these uh, light sensing uh, nanowires. So then we solve the front contact problem. So for the back contact, we learn from uh, our human eye. You know, our human eye, we have a few million of uh, uh, optical nerve fibers, right? So uh, these uh, nerve fibers, they're in connection with each individual uh, sensing cells. Uh, so we learn from that. Um, on the back side of the retina, we mount on the liquid metal fibers. The liquid metal fiber basically is the liquid metal at the room temperature is liquid, so it's a flexible. We uh, inject the liquid metal into the flexible uh, holes, flexible uh, like rubber tubes to form a flexible cable. And we also make a, we also made a, a socket made of the PDMS, also flexible. Uh, the socket has many holes. Uh, so we, uh, we mount the liquid metal in the socket and so that the liquid metal can touch the backside of the artificial retina. Then we form the back contact. So by doing this process, we solve the both these two processes, we solve the both the front contact and the back contact issues. What if you made um, the eye spherical, but the front part was flat and the back part was flat? So it would be like a sphere with the ends cut, where it was uh -huh. again flat in the front and back. Would that help you at all to make it easier, or is that not part of the constraint? That would that uh, make it worse? Make the 
we make the front side and the back side flat, but but make the eyes still spherical. Yeah, it would be like a sphere with the ends, you know, flat, chopped off. You know, I don't know. Would oh. that make it any easier, or would that make it even harder to do? I guess you have corners. And, you know. yeah. It's very difficult to make that kind of a template to assemble uh, the nanowires. Um, because we're using nanowires to uh, mimic those uh, um, photoreceptors in our retina. So in that case, and the structure you described, uh, maybe we'll have a very large thickness and we can't grow very, very long nanowires to put inside those kind of uh, very thick material. So are you, also, are you trying to make the eye, would it be easier to make the eye much bigger, but spherical, like a gigantic sphere? You know, five times the size of a normal eye, because then you won't, you might not have to use nanowires at first. Maybe oh, yeah. get it working as a gigantic eye, and then scale it down later. Maybe that's the <laughs> idea. But yeah, that that that's an interesting idea. Um, well, of course, make things uh, bigger. Um, our life will be easier, uh, but we still can cannot solve this uh, uh, this uh, fabrication on the on the uh, curved substrate that itself is uh, still an issue. Uh, but in terms of application, you know, uh, for this robotic application or uh, like a visual uh, processes, and we can't use a very large device because uh, our eyeball, after all, is about a two centimeter diameter. So we can't make a very big structure and put in our eye. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Mm. And then what about hooking it up to... Um you know, the biological parts, the optic nerve, that seems to be like the most difficult part of all. Yes. Um, some of the readers asked me how can we put this uh, artificial eye into their eye socket because they are blind or they lost the eye because of accident, etc. Um, at this moment, I think it will be very difficult to uh, put everything inside our eye socket. Um, you know, we have this uh, flexible liquid metal hose. It's difficult to, to tuck in our eye socket. Um, but I think one thing we can do is uh, uh, we just use the artificial retina. We just implant the artificial retina into our eye. Um, so we can use our artificial retina to replace or repair uh, the function of the degenerated human retina. So that's something perhaps much easier to do. And there are already some uh, commercial products uh, with a similar function but they are actually using the flat substrate to do it. Uh, so it cannot be very big. And the field of view also very small. But does it connect to the optic nerve and, and does it work at all as a bionic eye? Yes, yes. So um, in the idea I just proposed to you, uh, we still need to rely on the existing optical nerve on our retina, assuming they're still functioning. Um, so we just need to put on our uh, artificial retina over there to use our nanowires to generate photoelectric signal to stimulate the existing optical nerve and then, then pass the signal, neural electrical signal to our brain for image processing. But have you gotten that to work? Have you been able to interact with the brain in any creature, you know, a rat mm -hmm. or anything? Not yet. We're still doing some uh, in vitro tests. Uh, we need to put, uh, that's about the future work, next step work, but we, we just started actually uh, collaborating with the life scientists. Uh, we're going to put the neuron cells on the nanowire array, and then we shine the light. We want to see uh, the photovoltage generated by the nanowire, whether that's sufficient enough to 
stimulate the neuron cells and you know, uh, to uh, generate some uh, maybe ion exchanges through the membrane, etc. So how long do you think it, it may take until you're able to create a functioning eye? Uh, a functioning eye that uh, can help the blind people? Yeah, how long do you think it'll be until you're able to hook up an eye and make it function? And even if it's not high resolution, how long do you think this will take so it's, it works at least in some form? Right. So in our current plan, uh, in our current plan, uh, we need to finish the uh, in vitro and in vivo tests and animal tests. Though the whole process will take about five years. Then after that, we'll get into the clinical trial. Um, then we'll work with uh, volunteers so at the moment. So basically, we're talking about at least five years. Do you think it's possible, or do you think that that's uh, it's going to be very difficult to do it even then? Uh, I think it's a possible. I have already dis- discussed with uh, ophthalmologists, and they think the plan um, is a possible. Have you looked at um, you know eyes of creatures that uh, have better eyes than we do? You know, like a, let's say an eagle. Is there any oh. point in trying to make an eye that's better than what we have, or as good as what we have? Or? That's also a great question. Um, it's about the biomimetics, and we look into the eye structures from different kind of animals. Um, uh, for example, the cephalopods. Uh, actually, that gave us a surprise. Um, you know, we human, we thought we have the op- optimum uh, ideal eye structure, but in fact, we don't. We don't have the ideal structure. If you look at those uh, creatures living in uh, in the dark environment, in the deep, in the ocean, right? Like a cephalopods, like octopus or squids, their eye structures are even better. Um, you know, our human eye, we have the blind spot issue, right? So the reason we have the blind spot issue is because our optical nerves are in front of, on the front surface of the retina. So imagine many cables, like, you know, there's the optical nerves. So in order to go to the backside of the, of the retina and go to the brain, so all the optical nerves form a bundle and they go through a hole uh, on the uh, retina. So that hole is a blind spot uh, on our retina. So that is because our optical nerves are on the front side of the retina and our um, photoreceptors on the backside of the retina. But if you look at the eye structure, of the uh, cephalopods, for example, the uh, octopus. So their, their um, retina is not inverse structure, not inverted structure. So they have the photoreceptor on the front side, they have the optical nerve on the back side. So the optical nerve, they just need to go to, uh, go to the brain. They don't have to go through a hole on the, on the retina. So they don't have the blind spot issue. So besides the blind spot issue, uh, you know, because our photoreceptor on the backside of the retina, so the light has to penetrate through the optical nerve and some neuron layer to reach the photoreceptors. So this light transmission process will have 40% energy loss. Um, so that makes our uh, retina structure or eye structure not ideal as compared to some other animals, for example, the cephalopods. Why do you think our eye structure is that way? Oh, <laughs> well... I don't know. Uh, there's no consensus. Is there, is there, is there some benefit? Um, I can only give a guess um, because uh, we're mostly living on the land, so we have a sufficient uh, light around us, mostly daytime, right? So we don't we don't bother. We don't worry about that. 
but uh, for those creatures in deep ocean, so their surrounding is so dark, so their eye structure has to be very, very sensitive in order to survive. So in the end, it will be the result of the uh, uh, evolution, you know, and for us, it just happened this way. I don't know why. Do you think that once you make an eye, you'll be able to approximate how other creatures see? I've always wondered, you know, what would it be like to see as an octopus or as a dog or as an eagle? Do you think that you might be able to at least create maybe a computer model of what that's like? Right. So one, uh, one, one of the unique features for the eagle eyes, they have very high density of uh, photoreceptors. You know, the density matters. The density will determine the resolution, right? So if they have a high density, then they have a high resolution. So then up in the sky, uh, they can see the details on the ground. Uh, so this actually their surviving skill as well, right? Um, like in our case, uh, artificial retina, the density uh, of our artificial retina is about one order of magnitude higher than the density of the uh, photoreceptor uh, on our retina, our human retina. So the density itself is already very high. If we manage to um, address each individual manual photoreceptors, we can achieve higher resolution uh, than our own retina. I have a feeling we wouldn't like that if our eyesight was too good because we would see things, you know, I, I don't know, they would, they would look too rough or too, well, they wouldn't look as good as they look to us and I don't know, but I just have a feeling if we can see too well, we wouldn't like it. Uh, perhaps for some of us may, may not like it, right? Well, like if you're, you know, like uh, your your wife or your husband, you know, like if you can see too well, if you can see every blemish, every part of their skin, every imperfection, they might actually not be good looking to you. They might actually be ugly, you know. Well, that that's an uh, interesting perspective. Um, I didn't thought that way. Um you know, that, that may happen. Of course, that may happen, right? So, <laughs> well, nothing you can do, but yeah. No, I, I've seen like um, pictures of people taken with an HD camera. You know, right. it's a special camera they use for real estate. And when you yeah. take pictures of people, they don't look good. It, it's just too much detail. And they look like, ugh, you know, they, they <laughs> look like everyone's skin looks, I don't know, they look like lizards, I guess. So, it, sure. it, it just might be funny that it might be too good. But, you know, as long as someone can, can see, they'd be very happy without seeing right now, you know. Well, you know, our brain has a, a very powerful image processing function. So if you choose to ignore, it will be ignored. Yeah, that's true. I, I heard that we see upside down and backwards. Do you have to preserve that when you make the eye? Or can you wire it to the optic nerve so you don't have to do that? Is there any benefit in that? Uh, you mean the image um, projected to the retina is upside down? Yeah, I've heard that. Isn't it upside down and backwards or something? Or left to right or right to left? Yeah, the upside down um, and left and right. But our human already, our human brain uh, already got trained to uh, adapt to that kind of, uh, uh, you know, image version. So I don't think it's a big problem we should worry. But why do you think that is? Why wouldn't we just see things not upside down and not left to right or back to front or, you know, why wouldn't we see it directly? Oh, uh, you know, we have a lens, right? Um, our, our human eye, we have a lens in the front and, and once there's a lens and, and this is what happens. This is optics. This is basically the way optics. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, very good. What, so um, 
do you think that, I mean, what do you think your, your closest breakthrough is going to be in the next year or so? I know you said it's going to take probably at least five years to get where you're going, but is there anything you think that's going to happen in the next year or so that is going to be a big breakthrough for you? Are you close on something? Uh, next year. Well, next year, uh, along this line of research, so next year we plan to uh, make our device self-powered. I think that's also very important uh, because in our work, the published work, uh, we apply the external voltage and then shine a light. So the nanowire and the retina is working under the photoconductive mode. Um, but that means if we Im implant this retina, we need an external power source. But we try to learn from solar cells. You know, solar cell device can generate uh, power, electricity by itself. So if we can modify the device structure um, so that when we shine the light, the uh, artificial retina will generate the photovoltage by itself to um, stimulate the neuron cells, uh, then we don't need external power supply. Uh, so that will save a lot of trouble uh, in the future. So I will consider this is uh, gonna be important breakthrough as well. Are you saying the eye itself is like a little solar cell that uses the incoming photons to power itself? Yes. That's cool. That's a very cool idea. Oh, it makes sense. What about um, seeing in infrared or ultraviolet? Um, you know, right now we can't see in those ranges, but can we use the energy that comes into the eye that's in the non-visible range to power it? Yes, um, you know, we, it depends on the material we're going to use. Um, in our work, we use this material called the proscite material. So the artificial eye can see the wavelengths up to 800 nanometers. Um, but our human eye can only see 700, up to 700 nanometers. So uh, we can see a little bit of infrared over there. And if we choose the material with a smaller band gap, you know, the semiconductor material, even we just use the silicon, then it'll be able to see up to 1100 nanometers, can see the infrared, right? So if there are options, also other options for even smaller band gap material, you can see uh, even longer wavelengths. But then it comes back to uh, the question you raised before, whether we want to happen or not, whether we want to have this uh, a night vision or not. Maybe not everybody would like it, right? Yeah, no, that's true, that's true. Well, I wonder what would happen. Oh, another question is, um, are you going to be able to close the eye? Are you, are you going to be able to not see if you don't want to? Like, if you want to sleep at night, are, oh. you, going to make, are you going to make an eyelid? Or do you just turn the eyes off? Like, what, what do you do? Well, that, that can be easily implemented by uh, adding uh, a napture, right? A napture device. So the, perhaps that, that, that will use some little bit of external power. If we use an aperture over there, we can actually turn off, right? Just those apertures and there's no more light to enter the eye. And then what about making it look like a real eye versus a machine? I mean, it, let's say this works. Someone would look really freaky if they have like <laughs> these machine <laughs> eyes instead of regular eyes. They might have to wear like sunglasses. But, you know, I guess the last stage will be making it look like a real eye so you can't tell. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, we can design something. Um make it more aesthetic, uh, look more like a real eye. I don't think that would be a problem. Okay, well, very good. This is a very cool project. So what, yeah. what's the best way for people to follow your progress? How can they get in touch? Yeah, yeah. So we have any 
uh, update we always publish. Um, people can follow our group website and see what we are doing. Okay, so the best way is to uh, Google your name and then you can go to the website? Yes, find our group website and see our latest publications. Okay, well, very good. Jiang, this has been a great call. Thank you for coming on the call and you're working on uh, very cool stuff. Thank you, Richard. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.